Hello and welcome to Design Untangled with me, Chris Mears and Carla Lindarte. Hello. Hello. Finally, we're doing this again. I know. Do you think anyone's still listening? <laughs> I think there, there are actually some people, I would say like a, about a handful of people will be wondering what happened with these people that stopped doing podcasts. I wonder if Design Untangled is dead. So is there an explanation? It's not dead. It just had a little bit of a break, I think. Yeah, just had a little bit of a sleep. Yeah. Unscheduled sleep. Unscheduled sleep. Well, it's just holidays and busy lives and, you know. And we couldn't be bothered as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, they say in pregnancy you lose um, some motivation sometimes to do stuff. But no, we're back now, aren't we? So that was a big podcast reveal there. I don't think we can let that one slip. Which one? The pregnant one. Oh, yeah, I'm the pregnant. <laughs> yeah, because you can't be pregnant, can you? Well, no, I can have food <laughs> babies, but not real ones. Uh, yes, yes, I am pregnant. Um, you in January, this little baby. So mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see how we go with that one, with that project. A new, new little podcast host to join us. Yeah, yeah, he's going to join. Of course, he'll be crying a lot, especially in January when we're doing podcasts. <laughs> I think him. everyone is crying in January, to be honest. <laughs> I know, it's such a depressing time, isn't it? It is. Right, so let's get back into the flow here and talk about uncertainty in the design. So... The reason I wanted to do this as a topic is because we're always dealing with uncertainty in our jobs and it's important to not be scared of that. A lot of what we do, I think, is helping stakeholders and businesses navigate that uncertainty because, as we know, businesses generally don't like uncertainty, but it shouldn't be a, a scary thing. Yeah, I mean, majority of the work that we do is based on uncertainty and testing and trying and refining um but yeah as you said a lot of stakeholders especially like um in businesses who are new to do this kind of work um would like to have all the answers right away um and being able to know exactly what they're doing so the more like the tools that you use to help them navigate through that uncertainty the better it's going to be for you to help to help them understand that in an agile process where things are changing all the time um you have to be more comfortable with taking risks and navigating uncertainty yeah i wonder if you think that culture like stems from the days when you basically didn't talk to users and you just sort of said i know what they want and then you plan out this big waterfall process you know exactly what's happening at at what different time then you just deliver it so Mm. businesses thought they were certain about everything but then as we know you release it into the world and very often it's not actually what customers want yeah definitely I mean it's it's weird isn't it because you in a waterfall approach you try to find all the answers before you even start which makes everything slower i mean you would argue that from a risk perspective you kind of have a lower risk however that's what they would argue however in my opinion i think it's actually higher risk because if we, if one of your hypotheses or your main product hypothesis is wrong then you're spending all this time and effort of building something that people are not gonna 
use or adopt. So, but at the same time, I understand that not knowing where you're going and constant change um, is very unsettling. Um, you know, even now with pregnancy, I realize how hard it is to think about something that you have never experienced before and, you know, how anxious that can make you um, because, you know, you never, you've never done it. You don't know what, it, what to expect. So it's, it's hard to navigate that uncertainty. So if you, you know, that applies as well to, you know, a project, a, something that you do, your job, whatever. So you need to just um, be calm and, and try to find tools to help you do that yeah and I think when you're uncertain about something it can be quite stressful right so pregnancy mm. is probably a good example and you're you're kind of searching for answers and potentially using unreliable sources to find those <laughs> yeah. answers as we were chatting about the other day <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> so yeah I think research plays a very big part in how you tackle uncertainty because it's a way that you can start to hopefully get some answers or at least hunches as to what you should be doing. Mm -hmm, definitely. Especially because that's where, you know, if you think about the um, design thinking framework again, you know, desirability, feasibility, and viability. Research is, especially user research, plays a big part in the desirability side of, of your project. And, um, and if people, you know, people using your product or service, um, the more you know about these people, the more you know about the different types of uh, barriers that they could have in terms of adoption or um, the more you add into the knowledge of yourself and your team on that user base and potential types of users that you would have in there, um, the, the, the better it is going to be the outcome at the end and also you help your stakeholders um you know have more of a peace of mind that what you're doing is actually being tested and people are seeing it and people are giving feedback which you know kind of reassures you a little bit um when you're going through a an iterative process mm -hmm. so one of the other things you'll probably encounter is when you start a new job is lots of things being thrown around kind of like facts so we know customers want this or we've heard xyz and very often if you start probing that and just keep asking how do you know that where's that come from you find that underneath those statements is actually either no or very little of actual research so a lot of the job, I think, is about helping people understand what they see as insights because they've just sort of been said around the business for years, potentially, about helping them work through and understand, okay, how do we actually know that? How long ago did we validate it? Do we need to validate it again? Mm -hmm. And one of the good techniques you can use to do that is called assumption mapping. Mm -hmm. This is basically plotting kind of an XY axis in a, a workshop with one of the axes being importance and the other one known and unknown. So that splits all the kind of questions and assumptions and inverted commas facts you have about a problem space into a couple of different quadrants. So in the top right, you've got stuff which is important, but you don't really know that much about. That's where you want to be experimenting with some of those ideas, essentially, and evaluating them. So you can kind of develop hypotheses around those and test them in various ways, A, B, 
tests, user testing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, in the top left, you have got very important stuff, which is more known, so backed up by research, backed up by analytics. That area, they're a bit closer to what you could call facts, as best you can get them. So that's where you can start to actually, I think, develop solutions for those. And you're a lot more sure about those items and those questions than you are elsewhere on the board. Then the bottom left, you have known stuff, which is unimportant. And that's basically the ones that you just palm off till another time because you've admitted, yeah, they're not important. You know what they are, but they're not really that important. So sack them off. (laughs) Then the bottom right. I really should have looked at a picture of this graph while I was talking about this. It's quite hard to visualize it. So bottom right, you've got unknown and unimportant. That's right. So these are things where almost by putting them there, you realized you pretty much know nothing about them because you can't even figure out where to put them on the rest of the map. That's where you're going to be doing some more generative research, exploring kind of problem spaces and figuring out if there are actually any opportunities there Mm -hmm. but they're very kind of murky and it's quite a hard process to figure out what to do in that space they also need to be deprioritized um they could potentially i'm not saying well i don't think we're saying just delete or remove completely from your plan it's just that they kind of have a lower priority in your backlog um of Mm -hmm. things that you research or test or experiment with so you basically need to be focusing on the top right which are important stuff that is unknown and the top left which is important stuff that is known so the top left um so you can action it and start delivering it and building features or designing features because you know that is important and you know enough about those particular um, requirements. But then on the right-hand side, that's where you need to start doing more uh, research and experimentation to know more about what the important stuff you've identified um, that you don't know much about. So that's that should be in the top of your plan for research. Yeah, I kind of see the bottom right corner as a bit more strategic stuff potentially. So it's yeah. It's long tail stuff where you need to spend some time digging into those questions to understand, like, is there even anything of interest there in the first place? So it's stuff that you can potentially start to explore while you're testing some of the top right stuff, I'd say. So if you're doing user interviews, for example, you can start to use some of those sessions to maybe at least touch on some of those other items. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll- well, yes, and I think that's why it's important that you have a framework or at least a definition of what important is and unimportant because um, if you've got, again, going back to the desirability, feasibility, and viability, you could actually do maps like this around the three areas or at least have a different kind of color coding so then you know that desirability is about the user, so do, do they want to do this particular action with your with your um with your product um in terms of feasibility is like can we actually do this technically um so things that could be mapped in there depending on who you have in in the workshop um you could have a different color for technical stuff or feasibility stuff if viability is more from a business perspective is this something that you know this business or these um you know or your your company would do um ever 
Is it viable for them? Is it going to make money? So then you can have more the business people like rethinking about that. You could run it in the same workshop or separate workshops, but this mapping, it just allows you to, to paint a big picture of the product and also gives you a framework to, to understand, you know, the definition of importancy because something that for you is super important might not be very important for someone in the business. So it's just like getting agreement of what that means um, around the three areas is important. I quite like doing it the color coding way because then it's quite easy to see sort of what the spread of those three different categories is in the different quadrants. So if you've got loads of important stuff, which is like super viable, but there's no post-its around whether anyone actually wants it, for example, Mm -hmm. then yeah, that's a good talking point to have in the workshop and understand why do we think we should be doing this if no one wants it. Exactly. So that's why I think, I mean, ideally you have represented representatives from these three types the three dimensions of the product um and then as you said like you defined that importancy you know what you basically need to agree on the placement of these items in the quadrant um because as i said things that are important for ux designer might not be important for a business person and vice versa yeah exactly and i think what you're really trying to do in this session is de-risk the project Mm -hmm. that's essentially the ultimate goal because then you've got a good understanding of what you should be building why you should be building it and is it going to be sustainable and the stuff in the top right where you need to do more research to gradually move them to the left is the goal because you know more about them that's going to help you plan your project it's going to help you plan your research activities um, and understand kind of how everything's going to fit together in terms of what you're building on the left hand side and what you're learning about on the right hand side as well yeah definitely is it is a pretty risk exercise and a planning exercise as you said um, so it allows to teams to agree on, you know, what needs should, needs to be prioritized in the plan um, in the sprint, and then that kind of fits into the overall product development. Um, so I think is is super useful and it's simple as well. I think that's what I like about it. It's just it's it's very simple, and I mean it takes time to get people to agree and put things in the quadrants. Um, it takes conversation. It takes research as well like the more information you can bring into the session about like obviously from a ux perspective about um you know desirability and from a user perspective i think is valuable um if you have testimonials or videos or things like that to kind of help you put your um your points across especially when you're thinking about the top left side of the quadrant and things that you know that people really want and they want to use and they're feasible and viable they should be there so the more you can bring user insight into that or data as well analytics etc um the the easier it's going to be for you to push your the stuff that you think is, is valuable for the user yeah so uncertainty i think it's something that you just have to be comfortable with but you have to realize that it's something other people in the business may not be comfortable with and it's your job to help guide them through that process and help them understand how they can become more certain about things that are just complete unknowns because that can be very scary. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I also think that if you're running a, a project or um, that is going for a while, you should try to do this. Not like It's not a one-off. 
think you should try and do it like every every two springs or every month or you know every quarter depending on what's suitable for you know your product and the speed of development um and also i mean we i used to use a, a, a tool called mural which is like a digital kind of whiteboard and you can actually start on the whiteboard and then digitalize it and put it in a, in a digital form and then capture all the different mappings um of the different times that you've done it to compare to um to see to make sure you're not missing anything important to um to to actually see if you've actually learned more about the things that were important and you didn't know more about and how they translated into stuff that you're ready to start like building so i think it's is it is good to say that it's not a one-off thing uh well depending on the project but if it's a product that is in constant development you should be doing this all the time because it just um helps alignment helps help with planning and as you said it helps with you know lowering the risk of the project yeah i think it's quite satisfying as well seeing some of those unknown things move more into the known quadrant as Mm -hmm. time progresses as well so yeah it's just a nice little sort of show of progress i suppose and hopefully making you more knowledgeable about your customers in the process as well yeah definitely i wish you could do that with babies babies unknown (laughs) and important (laughs) (laughs) well debatable (laughs) everything is important isn't it (laughs) dummies are important milk is important Yeah, well, you're gonna have fun. You're gonna have it's fun. A lot of accessories, isn't it, for babies these days? <laughs> so many things. Yeah, there's a lot of add-on items. That's for sure. I know. It's like when you add them to your Amazon basket, and then you buy like some super glue or something as a little add-on for two quid. Yeah, exactly. But oh, I wish they were two quid. Like there's just hundreds of of pounds. So like, oh, you need this for this. You need that for that. It's like, oh my god, what am I gonna do with all these devices? <laughs> so what stuff have you started buying stuff already well we've done like a we've done a prioritization like important and known um that we need from day one like a crepe um you know like a next next to me kind of crepe and then a pusher and um a car seat and obviously Mm -hmm. clothes for like newborn and nappies that's and, and dummies as well, just in case, just to, to start with. Um, and then we yep. have a, a a second list where we obviously want the cot and the baby room, etc. But we will have more time for that, I guess. Um, for now, it's just making sure that you know if the baby comes, we we have the basics. So far, people buy you so much stuff as well. Yeah. Like you'll have more baby grows than you know what to do with. So I don't think you really need to buy that much generally. Exactly. Yeah, people give you a lot of stuff. Um, I did a baby shower in Colombia, and I, even though I asked for money because I didn't want to carry all the stuff back to go to London, <laughs> I just I still got a lot of like presents, mainly blankets. That baby's gonna have lots of blankets. You mean like um, things to puke on? Or no, bed like blankets? a proper bed blankets, like thick ones. Because everyone thinks London is so cold. I think everyone gave me blankets because of that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you'll definitely need a lot of the puking ones, I can tell you that for sure. I know, that's what I've heard. Okay, well, it was been a pleasure to do this again with you. It kind of flows, doesn't it? Felt a bit rusty, but no, it's fine. hopefully we'll get back into the swing of it. It's good. Episode 50, next one. Oh, 
wow, we need to do something special for it. You do. We need to just do it. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, that's the special gift is just actually doing a podcast. <laughs> we will, we will. Energy is back now. All right. All right. Catch you next time. Yeah. Search and subscribe to Design Untangled using your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Follow us on the web at designuntangled.co.uk or on Twitter at designuntangled. Become a better designer with online mentoring at uxmentor.me.